politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, to the Conservative Review podcast here at our Northern Command Center on this fine Friday, September the 20th, as we barrel towards autumn. Um, Our heat came on for the first time last night, so for whatever reason, it set off the fire alarm and woke me up at five o'clock. So I'm just a little bit out of it today, and that's why we're going to have a guest because I'm kind of out of sorts. But we have a ton of content coming up at our website, conservativereview.com. As you subscribe to our YouTube page, make sure to also check out our print content. Tons of stuff following up on yesterday's show. We talked about importing terrorism. Oh, my gosh. A Hezbollah 910 unit guy caught indicted in New York surveilling target targets for Hezbollah while he was naturalizing and going back to Lebanon 10 times. And of course, uh, see no evil, hear no evil. We just let them in. Friends, I have I've been briefed on Hezbollah unit 910. I want to talk to you another time about that. There are plenty of others where this guy comes from. If there is, God forbid, ever another 9-11, meaning coordinated command and control, devastating style attack, it will not be from a Sunni group. It will be from Hezbollah Unit 910. They have that capability today. Um, That's a big issue. Uh, We're going to continue focusing. There's a lot of immigration terrorism cases. Um, I've spoken with high officials at DHS. They're not even aware of these cases and the loopholes that go with them. Universal background checks. Gun show loopholes. What about the criminal alien loopholes? There's tons of them. We know exactly which policies to fix. We'll talk about that. Now, connected to that, we have a budget deadline. Um, If we had a sane movement, this would be all hands on deck. They're not going to fight the budget next year before the election. We know that. So, So this is the end of the rope. Whether it's spending levels, whether it's your policy priorities, This is our vision. This is their vision. Even if you don't think you're going to enact it, but at least this is the way you win an election. We know, you know, policy doesn't matter around here. It's all winning elections, not what you do with it. But at least if you want to win an election, by golly, win an election. Show the contrast. Show that contrast. Democrats, they they have their agenda. They came in. They passed the budget bill yesterday in the House with the help of 74 Republicans. Last time I checked, Trump has a veto. Republicans control the Senate. Where is their bill? This is what we want to spend money on. Um, we're going we're gonna to defund criminal sanctuary cities. We are going to fund border security against the cartels. Repeat sex offenders coming in every single day. We just reported on a four-year-old um, who was raped by an illegal alien in Louisiana. There's been about four of those cases in Louisiana we reported on recently. And again, the guy was not previously encountered. Um, Border Patrol has caught about a thousand gang members this year. Lots of criminal aliens, about four thousand um, convictions, three thousand more with with warrants. How many haven't they caught? I don't know, but I'll tell you this much: the cartels couldn't earn a living if we had a ninety-five percent interdiction rate of these guys. So um, that is what's going on there. And where is the beating heart of Mitch McConnell when it comes to the budget? With us today. We are bringing on, as always, the most liberal congressman, Texas 21, uh, 21st District, Chip Roy, to discuss this and many other issues. Chip, thanks for joining us right hot off the House floor. Hey, Daniel, I uh, went down to the floor and uh, you're going to be surprised by this, but I voted no. <laughs> well, you know, here, here's the problem. Um, you know, 
you're in the house where it's understandable when the minority will be voting no on a lot of things. Um, Most of your colleagues did vote against that budget bill in the Senate. We don't always have voting no. And therein lies the problem. But but here's what I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. We have a budget deadline come September 30th. We've lost every single budget battle with trifecta control, um, even when they had control of the House. This is the last time to present your case to the American people realistically before the election. Even right. if you're going to ultimately agree to a CR before September 30th, but this is an ongoing problem till at least November, if not early next year, until they craft a long-term funding bill. This is our opportunity to present our vision. Where is that vision, and what would you advise the Senate Majority Leader and the President to do and to put forward in the coming days? Well, this is the uh, critical question of our time right now. I really believe that. As you know, I'm a big believer that there are multiple issues we should be concerned about, border security, and there's no greater champion of fighting for border security and eliminating the problems than you. Healthcare reform, getting healthcare freedom back, uh, foreign affairs, we'll talk about that maybe in a minute, and some of those yeah. things. These are all critical issues. But I think the mo- number one issue that we've got to face as conservatives, if you believe in federalism and limited government, if you believe that government programs are a burden and a barrier to opportunity and growth and prosperity, if you're worried about $22 trillion of debt, we've got to focus on spending. If you want to shrink government, if you want to get the bureaucrats out of your life, if you want to maximize freedom and opportunity, then stop spending money in Washington. Republicans have been campaigning on this for forever, but they are not governing, I hate that term in a representative democracy, but they're not carrying out their job to represent the American people to spend responsibly. So you pointed out September 30th is right around the corner. It's our fiscal year. And so what's going to happen? The House just passed a continuing resolution that will kick the can down the road until November 21st, not an accidental date, the week before Thanksgiving, designed specifically to force pressure to maximize spending. That's literally why they do that. They set a date before Thanksgiving, before Christmas, in order to maximize what we call jet fume pressure, that everybody wants to get out of town and go home, and then they'll vote for bad bills and big spending. So problem one is they kick the can down the road and do that. Problem two, The very Republicans who tout the need for us to spend more on defense are then supporting a bill that kicks the can down the road six weeks, which is the very thing that the Defense Department is most concerned about. They never can plan. They have to build carriers. They have to buy assets. They need to, you know, they need to be able to plan beyond six week intervals. So now we're kicking the can down the road to put pressure to spend more money. And by the way, the CR spends at a level higher than the budget caps that were in place before July. And it sets the stage to then spend to the higher caps that were passed in July, raising about $320 billion. As your listeners know, we're racking up $100 million of debt per hour. If you run the numbers in our budget and you try to figure out how we get out of this, there is only one way to get out of this, maybe two or three if you break it down. We have got to go back to the cut, cap, and balance approach that we were dealing with back in 2011, where we have to cut, reduce spending, freeze it, cap it, and then we got to grow our way uh, to to balance. We got to grow the economy. So if you do those things, we could we could actually get to a place where we had fiscal sanity. But consider this: we gave about 3.6 trillion dollars of income, okay, give or take, about a trillion dollars of something you can plausibly call defense. $700 $700 billion for DOD, $100 billion for DHS, a couple hundred billion, a little over that for Veterans Affairs. 
So a trillion dollars that you could call something connected to our defense. About 670 billion, maybe almost 700 billion for Medicare. About 400 billion for interest. Well, guess what? If you look at all of that, you've almost spent all of your 3.6 trillion, right? You just, there you are. And we've not done anything for CIA, FBI, DOJ, labor, education, <laughs> transportation, any of the stuff that people think we do here. Now, I'm not too bothered by that because most of those agencies are messing with states and, and our ability to do what we ought to do, but we've got a spending problem and we've got to get busy dealing with it. And if you think about those numbers, it is incumbent upon Republicans, as you point out, in a political year, they came out of the retreat last week saying, well, we got to run on repealing Obamacare and fiscal responsibility and balancing the budget. And guys, do you know how big your credibility gap is with the American people? When for two years, the first two years of the Trump administration, you blew the lid off of spending, failed to secure the border, and completely botched health care. And so we've got to earn it back. And you said it, and I'll stop filibustering here. I'm sorry, Daniel. Oh, no. No, you continue. said it, right? You said this is the moment when we should be presenting a vision. This is the moment when we have our moment with the president and the Senate. So you ask what I would do? I would pass a defense bill, a defense appropriations bill in the Senate. I would say on the back of a House bill, I'd amend it so you passed defense appropriations so that we got that done. And I would force the Democrats to own what do we need to defend the United States of America as our core constitutional responsibility. And by the way, I would include DHS and border security funding in it. And I would say, this is what I demand we spend. And then I want to uh, a plan for the rest of spending to limit spending and adhere to the caps that will still leave us with trillion dollar deficits, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And then we should make 2020 an election, a, a uh, election that is focused on fiscal responsibility. If we did that, the American people would be behind us. They'd be for it. They'd say, yes, do your job, secure the border, have a strong national defense, and then let's get busy figuring out how to have fiscal responsibility. And that's what they do. Whenever the Democrats have control of just one branch or zero branches, they're like, well, we don't have 60 votes. So therefore, we do nothing. Therefore, I won't right. even go to first base if I don't yet see a plan to necessarily get it home. At least pick the fight, demonstrate it. It's always the Democrats striking first in the House. This is our vision. I'm like, we have to go along with it. Where is your vision? So you just presented that. Slam a bill on the Senate floor dealing with defense spending and then and then pick that fight. First. Including okay. including border, though, by the way, like we so, I, I think we need to recognize as, as be, like our defense of our nation. And you talk about this all the time. If it's not our border, what is it? Like, if someone else's border, <laughs> I, I understand. And you understand why Iran is a problem. We understand why China and Russia are problems. We understand why we need a force presence in parts of the world. But we also understand. And I wrote an op ed earlier this week, September 18th. Why is that date important? It's the 18th anniversary of the authorization of the use of military force in 2001. Yeah. We now have men and women who are enlisting in the military this week who was born, who were born after the authorization of force was passed. Yep. In my opinion, we need to have a fresh authorization of force that is very focused on what we need to do abroad. And that keeps in mind the burden on our men and women in uniform, the cost in blood and treasure of the United States. But we need clarity of mission. I've not met a single veteran in the 21st Congressional District who doesn't agree that we need a clear mission and know what victory looks like. And they'll go climb that hill. They'll go fight and they'll do the great things that our men and women in uniform do. But we got to have a clear mission. And it's time to do that. The, you know, I was going to go to health care, but let's do that at the end. Yeah. Let's continue along the lines because this ties in security, visas, 
border spending and military mission all in one because again this is how they hold us hostage all the military spending this and that here here's the thing and we presented this case um you know last friday we had a a show with fellow texan i know you worked a little bit with him um under the perry administration colonel dan steiner he commanded texas Mm -hmm. military's forces and he presented for us a vision of what it means to do strike and maneuver instead of hold and build where for a fraction of our cost, using mainly air power in our air su- superiority, could have defined the, the issues we have, take care of it, preserve our resolve and resources to then really have a deterrent against Iran, the real big nation states that affect us, not these two-bit groups in fighting tribal warfares in countries. And then we would have tons of money left over, A, to not be held hostage on non-defense spending, B, save a ton of lives. C, if we would use a fraction of that air superiority um, on our border where you could monitor anything that moves, you know, we would have the border, China, Iran deterrent, yada, yada. Instead, what do we have? um, uh, Task and Purpose Military Magazine put out an article yesterday I saw. Every single special forces group, better known as the Green Berets, lost at least one soldier in Afghanistan this year when when it's not even viewed as if we have that much going on there we are using special forces like a conventional force not a strike and maneuver very specialized specific mission but to hold together an entire country because we don't want to say we have a lot of troops there but we don't want to really fully pull out or offer an alternative so we do it on their backs they they lose soldiers in these convoys these like endless they're not on the offense, but they're not behind defensive Ford operating bases either. They're working for unvetted 18 year failure Afghani military. Here's my here's what my question. Aside from defense spending, you have a, a, an NDAA, a defense authorization bill. Defense authorization shouldn't be a fight about spending levels, but it always becomes about that. That's right. the appropriation bill. It should be about before we need to know what to spend what is it we want right what is it what sort of threats do we have which one of those requires ground which one requires air which one requires economic sanctions which one requires other tools of statecrafts and and, and other alliances and which one of them frankly is our immigration and visa system like i'll end with this you could piss around in every Middle Eastern country from now until 100 years from now. But if you bring in, for example, 60, 70,000 people from Lebanon and don't even have a vetting system, forget about those that have jihadist proclivities, but those who are special forces for, Af- for Hezbollah have already engaged for four years. This was the case with Saab, who was just indicted and then continuously go back and get bomb training there and share pictures of Fenway Park while he's applying for naturalization. Dude, that, that's not a military issue. I mean, that's, that's an FBI issue. That's a USCIS issue. Why is nobody determining what tools we need for which, which issue? So... <clears throat> This should be a panel discussion less than an interview. Um, yeah, I don't mean that critically, but right, this this is a long conversation. But you you you've as usual highlighted a whole bunch of issues. Let me take a couple of things that I think are important to, to sort of clarify. 
Number one, because we're talking about national security, how do we handle developing national security policy? We're talking about border security. We're talking about how we handle who comes here and why they come here and the nexus between national security. And that's very important. Um, and we're talking about what should our authorization be? What should we be doing? And why doesn't why isn't border security a piece of that component? Uh, and importantly, what should we be doing abroad and so forth? There's a lot in there. Let me say this. Let me let me focus first on what we're doing overseas, and then come back to sure. border and and domestic. Uh, uh, as much time uh, as you security. have. Yeah. When I went to Israel a month ago, uh, I saw firsthand sitting at the border along with a number of my Republican colleagues, my wife, and other people who were on this trip. I saw uh, stood at the border of Lebanon, and I saw the houses and the mosques in which Israeli intelligence, Mossad, knows. With 100% certainty, there are missiles sitting in those homes and those mosques pointing at Tel Aviv and pointing at Jerusalem. 130,000 such missiles. This is the reality of what our friends in Israel deal with on a daily basis. Uh, number two, and so this is Lebanon. Lebanon knows this. Lebanon is complicit in this, right? So Hezbollah has ownership of the activities, what they're doing, but this is all a part of what's going on in Lebanon. This is a problem. We've got Syria, we're up at the border with Syria, and now you go down to Gaza, where Hamas is sending over balloons and burning fields and then sending attacks and trying to infiltrate Israel. Um, Israel has a very uh, potent and effective wall or fence all along those borders. And since they built those walls and fences, they've had significant decrease in the number of attacks. Do you remember all of the bombings in the, in the 2000s, right? And what was happening in a hotel uh, in, you know, all over. I mean, it goes through numerous Everyday days. stuff blew up there, yeah. Right. Well, what happened? They got serious about security. They got serious about a large fence and border security. They got serious about resolve with missile defense and able to battle against what's happening because they have a singular mission as a country to defend the state of Israel, that the right of the state to exist and to focus on sovereignty and who they are as a nation and then to get busy doing it. Now, so why do I say all of that? We as a nation are not doing that. We as a nation are not focusing on our national sovereignty, focusing on why it's important for us to have border security. Now, you say, well, we've got different things. We don't have Hezbollah with 130,000 missiles sitting across our border across the Rio Grande. Now, you and I could spiral for another two hours talking <laughs> about the danger right across the Rio Grande in Tamaulipas. It's a level four state. The cartel donor Este, Los, uh, Los Zetas, the uh, Reynosa faction, the Gulf Cartel, they're at war. Uh, it's a dangerous zone. Mexico is now uh, becoming increasingly dangerous despite a growing middle class on the back of NAFTA and free trade. It's a place where you don't want to travel because of danger. We can go down that road. And this is why I think we ought to designate certain of those cartels, the ones I just mentioned, as foreign terrorist organizations. But it's all relevant because our national security is at risk because Democrats and weak need Republicans refuse to acknowledge the importance of sovereignty and security in the 21st century. You do, this is not a race issue. This is not an issue about anything other than in a post 9-11 world, when in the ICE facility in Aurora, Colorado, there were 57 countries represented in that facility, 57 countries. I'm not talking about Guatemala, Salvador, Honduras, Mexico. I'm talking about Eritrea, Pakistan, India, Indonesia, uh, Iraq, countries from all over the world yeah. represented in that facility. And, and, and Chip, let me just say what you mean by sovereignty 
It's not just the physical southern border that's a big component. It's the fact that we have in the palm of our hands. There's a lot of things we can't control fully. Americans have rights. It's hard. You need probable cause to get the guy. You need to convict the guy. Even if you sentence the guy, as we know today, no one serves any time in prison anymore. They're back out giving you more problems. When it comes to foreign nationals, 7.8 billion people in the world, lots of potentially wonderful people that will love America, won't be a public charge, won't be, you know, pissing around with, right. with Hezbollah and won't bother us. So we have the ability, the sovereignty means that we have an America, not everyone gets to choose who comes in, not Americans. And unless we see like you carrying an Al Qaeda flag on the ship right. coming in, you're in. No, the opposite. No one's in right. until we determine with right. certitude that you are a good guy, which there certainly are and, and, plenty of those to bring in. That's what it means. And that's what we're not doing because that's a big part of the chain migration that we're seeing. So, we're not vetting these people. No. And, and like this is well, here's an important thing that I, I want to talk about. This morning we had a hearing in uh, the oversight committee in white which Candace Owens, can, right. yeah, on white supremacism. Candace Owens was there. And I asked her some questions, and she had some great testimony about the extent to which this is a very clear effort by Democrats to sensationalize the race component of this rather than zeroing in on ideological-based crime. Now, why do I say that? This is all relevant to this, this whole conversation. Andy McCarthy wrote a great piece in National Review on August 5th. Go look it up and Google it. Uh, it was basically saying how we can combat white nationalism while protecting the Second Amendment. So what was his point? The Department of Justice under Barack Obama started to turn away from focusing on jihad-based criminal activity, right? In other words, organizations that are uh, like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and then all of the networks that that spawns, and then the people in our country who then take that and go do things, bad things, whether they're doing it as an operative in one of those entities or whether they're a lone wolf that's just inspired by them. All of that happens. Same thing to some degree with white nationalism. But Andy points out in this article, the very different point of that, like the, the reality of the organizations, organizational structure. If, if you want to go combat ideological based crimes, go after everybody. You don't care what race they are. I don't care what race they are. I care about going after bad guys. So when yes. we talk about what's happening, not the item, the, border, the guy. Yeah, right. I want the bad guys. So 900,000 people were apprehended on our southern border in the last year since last October 1, right? The apprehended. That's not talking about the ones who got in who weren't apprehended. Which will be Although, the really bad guys. Yes. And so even if just 1% of them are bad guys, that's 9,000 bad guys, okay? Even if just 1%, we know it's probably more. Here's why. If that's 900,000 white Russians, do I care? Right? I want them stopped. Chip, Chip right? I, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. If we have a visa process and there's a part of the world where it is very pervasive white supremacism right should we triple our immigration from there with no understanding of how we're going to vet out who they are no i mean this is a point like there this, this is my point exactly right <laughs> we know there are organizations right now in the ukraine russia and others that want to do us harm there are a lot of great people there that want to work with us but there's a lot of people who want to do us harm and they're they're fomenting some of this very uh racism uh anti-jewish and all sorts of different things right i want them vetted I don't care what color they are. I don't care where they come from. And this is something Candace talked about it great this morning, that the extent to which this is made purposely to be an issue about race instead of our sovereign duty as a nation to secure our borders. And she talked about it beautifully, the impact on black society in America. Look, I'll tell you this in a heartbeat. 
there are probably 50 million people in this country who I'd be happy to go swap out with 50 million people around the world. <laughs> For sure. If I can vet them. But we can't do that. If they're secure, like, I don't care, right? See, see, he, here's the thing, Chip. If you are a white supremacist, let's say, but you, you didn't go kinetic in, in an attack, you're just espousing, I hate such and such. That's freedom of speech. Nothing we can do with that. But if you're, if I know you're saying it, for example, on social media and you apply for um, a visa, um, naturalization, then I'm like, dude, I don't want to bring you in. And it's the same thing with Islamic supremacism right. and all this stuff. It, it's yes. a matter, it's a legal distinction that right. it's a redressability. We're all pulling our hair out. How do you stop violence? How do you stop this? Well, the lowest hanging fruit is immigration because I, it doesn't matter if you're from Canada or Iceland or whatever. See, let's say you you have a green card. Forget about legal immigration, you have a green card and and you're um you're doing a bunch of drunk driving, drugs, um, assault. So look, if that's an American drunk driving, drugs, assault, right. that guy ain't serving any time, and we're gonna be dealing with him for the rest of our life. But this right. guy, I don't care who he is. Um, you know, we we dealt with that um uh Ukrainian refugee in yeah. New Hampshire around July 4th time, killed seven former Marines yeah. bikers. Um drunk driving it turned out he had larceny multiple driving issues drunk driving drugs he should have been out of here and it's a similar right. thing in your home state i don't hear any of your republican colleagues in texas billy chemmer is now accused of of and, and this speaks to the gun issue smothering with nothing more than a pillow and one of the most horrific mass murders in american history 19 seniors in the most vulnerable way and this is a known two loopholes number one he was originally illegal but he cleansed his status with a marriage that i wonder if was real now that is not mandatory that's a discretionary leniency that they may give but it's it's become automatic no one's talking about fixing that then even after he got a green card he had deportable offenses or offenses right. that if they're not, there are two DWIs. If they're not, we should make them. These are the loopholes, the high capacity criminal alien loopholes, the universal background checks. This is where we have the information. We have right. it. They're foreign nationals. I, I don't understand. It's not chip. You could want 5 million immigrants. That's another debate. But shouldn't right. we all agree that we have the ability to ensure that anyone we bring in is a, a good guy? And you know what? If we yeah. make a mistake, there's a five to seven year grace period that if you're doing stuff, we should nail you on it and you're out of here. Well, th this is like, I mean, it's very you, mechanical. You started this conversation, this <laughs> particular question, talking about the connection to overall national security. So to your point, yes, is the answer to your question. Of course. We can have a national debate about how many people should come into our country and work, guest workers or not, whether or not they come in uh, from what countries. Fine. Let's have that debate. By the way, we had a bill last year, which was a flawed bill from my perspective in 2018, that not a single – I like to beat up Republicans when we fail, but let's be very clear. Not one Democrat, not one Democrat voted for a bill on the floor of the House of Representatives that would have reworked our immigration system to be point-based, merit-based, instead of having the chain migration problem, would have had massive increases to security, probably not everything you and I would want, but would have had significant security and fixes to asylum and fixes to Flores, which was at the heart of what we've dealt with in the traffic over the last year, and then had status 
for people who are here illegally, whether one bill had DACA, the other bill had a much more expansive status. Now, you and I have some concerns about that. But pause for a minute and just let's just soak in. Not one Democrat supported either of those bills. It gave American victims a right to sue. Um, It also what it did was, you know, it had mandatory apprehensions for drunk driving illegal aliens. I mean, why would you want to have other countries drunk drivers? The the point here is, though, are those two bills that finally got to a vote on the floor of the House? The Freedom Caucus, of which I'm proudly a member, was much maligned, right? Because, oh, well, you're an extremist on immigration. No, hold on. The Freedom Caucus, save a couple of people, voted for a version of that bill which provided status for the Dreamers, the DACA class. Now, I've got concerns and problems with that. Let me be perfectly clear. However, no Democrat voted for that bill, even though it had status, reformed immigration, the business community, and Americans wanted in some respects, yeah, and had some security, even though it wasn't as far as you and I. In other words, it was a soft bill. Both of them were soft bills. It was a bill that Democrats that would have been universal until a few years ago. Meaning, Barack Obama's whole line was deport criminals, not grandmothers. Now they don't want to deport criminals. I mean, that that's the issue. That's how far this issue has moved. But you mentioned yep. chain migration. I want to yep. discuss that because this again, very important case. This Alexei Saab, um, Lebanese immigrant. That was the highest level special ops unit 910 for Hezbollah, 33 page complaint that I read from the FBI. Um, What people don't realize, we think of chain migration as it's just stupid. It's an economic issue. Why not have merit base? That's all true. There's a major national security problem because um, what what I've been briefed on with Hezbollah 910, what they do is – they use our immigration system as the lead part of their jihad. So what they do is they get people, because we've had a ton of immigration over time, so they feed on the family members, they get people that they know could easily get in on a green card. And then what's amazing is how efficient they were. This guy naturalized five years to the dot. He had the application. You rarely see that, but that's how efficient they are. It's all works in immigration. If you have a merit-based system, the point is, that's sovereignty. We are right. choosing who to bring in. I want you. I want you. Here, it's the opposite. The, it's thrown at you based on, on family ties. Officially, we we have whatever vetting we have, but the philosophy within the USCIS caseworkers becomes more like the default is you have the claim. You're a relative. Right. If we see you're a member prima facie of but but we you know you rarely rarely see that that's the danger it's a national security problem you're perpetuating that so yeah i couldn't agree more and this this is lies at the heart of what i think the american people are really frustrated about and why the republicans are losing the opportunity right now to galvanize a truly game-changing force heading into 2020 now i still think it's very possible we've got a lot of time Contract with America in 94 wasn't introduced until the fall before heading into the election. You, know, it, it, you need to introduce we've got one. Time. We need one. What's that? You need what? to introduce it. I'm just, we, we need, we need, well, we need a I've, document. I've, I've got something I'm working on, but I, but, and, and, and we'll talk about that. But <laughs> what I am of the belief is that we need that. We need a galvanizing, but it's not, it's not complex. 
Look, when I ran last year, and I believe these are this, these things lie at the core of what we need to do. I ran on securing the border, unequivocally, secure the border. I don't want any bouncing back and forth. I want cleared cane. I want roads. I want fencing. I want border agents. I want a clear system that works. Secure the border, period. Two, healthcare freedom. And we'll talk about healthcare in a minute. I want to get insurance bureaucrats and government bureaucrats out of the way of you and your doctor so that you can get price pressure down, have more access to healthcare, and have the best healthcare in the world in the 21st century. We can talk about that. Three, we need to have a balanced budget or stated differently, fiscal responsibility. You need to limit spending and get economic growth in place. And I, I campaign on those three things in particular, and then two others. One, a clear mission for our men and women in uniform, the tools to carry it out and to care when they get home, but a clear mission. That is a very important part. And then the last thing is leave virtually the rest of that stuff to the American people in the states. Get out of the way. And I believe that in that lies the core of what we want to do. And step by step, we should go through each one of those things and have a vision for America that they'll get behind. They want fiscal sanity. They're tired of the endless spending. They're tired of the irresponsibility. They're tired of the kicking the can. They want a secure border. The vast majority of the American people want a secure border. Yes, they want people to be able to come here. Yes, they want to be able to offer asylum to people who truly need it. But they want a secure border that we control and sovereignty. They want affordable health care. They don't really want, at the end of the day, what they're being told and foisted upon them, that yeah. you must have coverage. They want care. Now, they get scared about thinking insurance is the path to so, care. Chip, we're, we're, it we're, is not. We're going to run out of time. Let, so, let's take it right there. I, I want to I yeah. take that. I want to grab the bull by the horns, okay? Because yeah. every time I want to talk about this with you, and I never get to it, health care. Okay, so you put out a statement on Twitter that kind of, or, or you know, you're having a conversation with some of our mutual friends in the uh, DPC community, direct primary care. Yeah. And you said, we have an addiction problem. We are too addicted to health insurance. Now, mm -hmm. what I've seen for too long is that what Democrats do is this. They do slash and bird divide and conquer. They go and screw up the system more and more. And then they blame the system on free market when they already made it not, and then demand right. the next step. Then they complain about the next step they crapped in as if they had nothing to do with it. And that engenders a need for more. And what no one's discussing is, imagine if our healthcare looked like nothing different than the food chain supply in supermarkets. Imagine if our subsidization, however much welfare you want, we'll debate that another time, I'll give it to you. But if we structured it like food stamps, you cut out the middleman. So yeah. one of the most amazing stories that I love to say on this show, Boris Yeltsin in your home state visited in 1987. Um, before he was prime president, he was he was yeah. some sort of a cabinet official. And he visited the Space Center in Houston. Wasn't yeah. impressed by that. You know what he was impressed by? He visited Randall's Supermarket. 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 Yeah. And he saw the array of orange juice and choices. Now, you fast forward 30 years. The hedonism and indulgence, and look, cool, Coolidge warned about that. That is, has its own problems. But the, uh, the array of choices in almost any other sphere of economic markets in this country is insane. No other country had it. It blew right. his mind the choices we have. Yeah. Healthcare should look 
like That's an exactly American supermarket, yeah. not a Venezuelan yep. or a Soviet supermarket. And yep. even for the people that are poor, we have 40 million people on food stamps. But what I can say about food stamps is it doesn't destroy the market for everyone else. You go in like anyone else and you have the same choices and you purchase whatever you want. What is your kind of blueprint to as much as practicably possible move healthcare in that direction? Take it from yeah. there. Look, your talking point there is a great one and, and, and I'm gonna steal it, that, that our healthcare system needs to look more like an American supermarket. Uh, number one, let me clarify one thing. The, and it's actually, I'm okay with the language, but that, that was an article written about what I said that said that I said we have an addiction to healthcare. I would modify that slightly to say, I'm sorry, insurance, an addiction to health insurance. I would modify that slightly to say, we have an addiction to fake insurance. We have an addiction to- The cartel's um, conception of it. Right? So now why do I say that? Because here's the answer to your question. This is not that hard. We need to expand the ability for American people to go shop for healthcare the same way they do as you said in the supermarket. How do you do that? I introduced a bill called the Health Free, Healthcare Freedom Act in July. And what it does is creates a health freedom account, which is a massively expanded health savings account, which enables you to save money yourself tax advantage, allows an employer to provide dollars into it tax advantage, the same tax break they get now for paying directly to your insurance company. It allows you to share it with other people, allows you to pass it down to heirs, and it allows you to spend it on whatever you want to. Direct primary care, direct to doctors, pay for service, go pay for the care, pay for insurance. What do I mean by insurance? Actual insurance, indemnity insurance, where you've got a backstop like you do for your car or your house. When your house has a fire, you go to your insurance yeah. company. When your house has a leak, you call the plumber. This is what we need to get back to. And then finally, and, and freeze frame, you, you don't have the the you know all state with your homeowner's right. insurance controlling the supply chain of shingles on the roof and Correct. construction materials yes this is the important part i often say when i'm out campaigning my kids we don't watch very much tv i think tv's kind of bad for you oh, but yeah. my principal stopped just short of of that because we watch sports so they know the jingles to uh what uh farmers Allstate, State Farm, you know, and they can do, you know, bomb, bomb, Like bomb, a bomb, good bomb, neighbor, bomb. State right. Farm yeah. is there, yeah. But now do the same thing for Edna. <laughs> do the same thing for Blue Cross. They don't need to because you, government yeah. government made them the consumer and the provider right. at the same time. They don't have to get in your brain to sell you a product because it's crony capitalism where they're getting funding from the government to tell you what your healthcare has to look like. So I invite any Democrat, to go war toe to toe with any Republican who a Republican will stand up and say we should end our addiction to managed insurance companies, you know, companies managing your health care end that addiction. Because I want to have what you said, the supermarket health care, where you take your health savings account and you go to the doctor and you pay for the care with the money that's in that account, tax advantage, and you go shop for it. You want transparency and pricing. You don't need the government to mandate some sheet of prices. You need to free up the market so you have to go pay for the prices. Then they have to compete for your business and drive prices down, just like when you get an oil change, just like when you get your brakes fixed. Do you care what the supply chain is for brake providers? There's probably only three or four manufacturers of brakes, but then they go through and then people buy them, they're wholesalers, and then Pet Boys buys them, and you know what? You know, your automobile, your dealership buys them, the Jeep dealership gets them, and so forth. And you've got 
literally a thousand options, probably within 60 miles of my house to go get my car repair done. Why don't we have that for healthcare? My chief of staff needed to go get an appointment. I won't get into what it was, but just to get something dealt with. And he is a veteran and he's having to go through our convoluted health system. He had three doctors anywhere in and around DC to deal with this problem that was in network. Screw that. I'm tired of that. That's not freedom. You government don't get to tell me and you insurance company don't get to tell me where I can go get health care. I want to call a doctor of my choice on my choosing for my family in a free society. You can only That's go you can only shop for food at that uh, gas station mini mart. You can't right. go to Walmart or Whole Foods it's or ridiculous. I mean that's what it yeah. would be. But 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 and I, I think this shit, is the same thing by the way on drug pricing, right? Drug oh, pricing yeah, go is ahead. the same thing, right? They force you into a narrow supply chain where your insurance company and they all cut these deals, they've got the PBMs in there and then you add that on top of complex patents. And suddenly you're paying $1,000 for something that could cost you $40. And this we can blow the lid off of. We need the Costco or the you know, Sam's Club of drugs. Break down these supply chains so you can go compete in the market and go buy drugs across the board. Because we have places where you can do that that the American people don't know about because they're trained to LA sheep to go to an insurance company and say, oh, Father, please can't tell me what my health will look like. No. You control your health. You go out in the market. You go get insulin from a club where you can get prices down. You go get the doctor of your choice and you choose. And you know what? If you want cancer doctors at MD Anderson, maybe that doctor costs $1,000 where the doctor at Texas Oncology in Austin is $500 yeah. because MD Anderson is the best in the world. That's okay. And then Chip, take what you said and then the remainder. Anyone who can afford that, guess what? For a fraction of the 3.2 to 3.4 trillion we spend as a nation and 1.6 trillion at a governmental level, about 1.2 at a federal yep. level, the rest at a state level, that we spend lining the pockets and creating monopolies, give it just to hand it. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm actually for handouts. Yeah. In this so, case, do it, give it, give the money in the HSA accounts. If yes. you don't have it, backfill yes. it. And by the way, we can create a cradle to grave structure so that when you're born until you die, you're able to fund that, fill it yourself. Yeah. Employers can provide tax advantage. Charities can provide. So if you've got a veteran down the street that needs care, you want to give that guy 500 bucks or whatever, you can do that. Or yes, maybe governmental entities, state, local, or, or federal, where they can put money into the account. This credit to Paul Ryan, premium support, right? That went, you know, that. The idea that we put some money into to have a, a, a kind of voucher kind of It's kind of like thing. food stamps. But but I think it ought to be instead of premium support, because that was insurance, I think this ought to be healthcare support. So here you go. Here's the money you need if you're you're poor or you know you don't have uh, uh, enough money in your account. Here's a backstop. There are any number of ways we can do it. No, we're gonna give it to better. your your blue cross um food lion, food supply, whatever card. Right. That's what the equivalent would be like. I, I, I'm a conservative and I say, if we could only run Medicaid like food stamps, we'd be better right. off. I mean, you give right. it to them and then, you know, what? you don't have the stigma. You're a Medicaid patient. You're like right. like anyone else. Um, and, and, you know, in this case, you do go to the checkout counter with some sort of EBT card, although yeah. they took the stigma look, with the card. But, the, you know, yeah, the bottom line is 
everybody gets the joke of what the problem is. The problem is, is, is Republicans are crying over in the corner, wringing their hands, going, oh, please don't attack me for, because he was, I don't want pre, people with pre-existing conditions. Oh, Look, geez. there are endless number of ways that we can handle that problem the way you just described. But look, we haven't talked about health sharing ministries or health sharing organizations where you defray costs. There are people today who can't afford health care in our broken insurance system because they're having to pay massive premiums with massive deductibles and then be told they can only go to three doctors. What do they do instead? They go to direct primary care, go to doctors who will charge a fraction of the price because it's a fair price for the service rendered. Then they go to a health sharing ministry to defray the cost when you get hit with something that's not good for your budget. It happens, right? Your your kid falls down and breaks a leg in an emergency room or whatever, something that's like, ooh, I don't don't have 2,000 bucks right now to deal with this. Well, then you've got a health sharing organization where you can defray the cost. Then you ultimately, in a market, could have catastrophic insurance. So when you get cancer, do whatever. Oh, Chip, what about pre-existing conditions? How are you going to price it? Hold on. The health sharing organizations I'm aware of, they factor in most pre-existing conditions. You can do it if you have lower costs and enable you to defray the cost. If costs, everyone else is lower. Yeah, if everyone else is lower, you isolate right. and minimize the, the problem, not yes. spread it around and magnify Correct. the problem. You isolate. Everyone else should be like, for example, l- 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 let me let me explain this. All right. Let- well, hold on. I'm, I got about two minutes. So, oh, so, so you know, you know what? I'll, yeah. I'll explain that after. It's f- f- okay. Finish your thought. Well, no, I mean that. Look, that's my thought on healthcare. Okay, I think, and, and we've got the the makings of it. And there's there's an increasing look here. Let me be optimistic. There's an increasing recognition by Republicans that we need to have a much bigger vision for healthcare, and they're starting to see the merits of what we're talking about. In other words, these conversations are seeping into the bloodstream. I am beating the war drum on healthcare freedom, and that's what I'm going to call it until somebody gives me a better moniker. But I believe that if we free up the healthcare system, so like you said, have the supermarket of healthcare or the 21st century, you know, Uber, Uberization of America, uh, American healthcare, right? Where you can use technology to be able to go out and have a best doctor in the world give you a diagnosis, even though you live in a small town a thousand miles away, where you can get blood checked on your iPhone. You can do all sorts of different things now. And we're holding all of that great innovation back yep. because we're wed to a broken system that is insurance run, crony insurance run, that when we say, oh, we don't want single payer government run healthcare, but then we prop up the very broken crony insurance run healthcare system that's probably as bad or worse than a government run healthcare system. So let's get busy talking about freedom, opportunity, entrepreneurial capability, and what we can have in terms of healthcare. If you do that, and you talk about fiscal sanity, but actually back it up by action. And if you stand up and talk about securing the border, and then we get real serious about a clear mission for men and women in uniform, we can have an unbelievable prosperous 21st century with high economic growth, getting spending down, health care for everybody, and making sure that, that we've got the, 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 the country that's worth passing down to our kids and grandkids, instead of languishing around uh, with this stupid swamp-based uh, mess that's holding us back. And there's nothing even right wing about that. I mean, I think most people agree with that. We could have certain disagreements on things, but if we would just get the politics out, I know, Chip, I I know you you don't exactly get too much money from the health insurance cartel that all these people who claim they don't like them get a ton of money from it. And there's a reason they get money for it because they perpetuate the system. Yes. I mean, look, they they, they get $100 billion of freaking subsidies in ACA. More is more than that. And and people wonder why. 
you know, oh, well, why this system continues to perpetuate. And by the way, we also encourage them. They make more money the more they keep charging and putting out because they basically get a percentage of what they're putting out. So they're not incented to drop prices down and to hold spending down. They're incented to just keep bloating and spending money as an insurance company to uh, uh, to then get the subsidies from the federal government. It's nonsense. But look, we've got the opportunity to change that. We need all of your listeners. Go call your congressmen and women. Tell them and your senators you want what we just talked about. Tell them what you want. You demand a secure border. You demand fiscal responsibility. You demand a clear mission. You demand health care freedom. And then get Washington the hell out of the way. That's I'm it. telling you. It's that simple. This is the opportunity. We need to fight for it. Now we just need to clone you and multiply you. There you have it, Chip, as always. We're going to have you back as a regular guest. We will demand it of you. Folks, if you want to send him a message or ask a question of him, email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. That was, again, Chip Roy of Texas 21. You got to love him. You got to love a guy like that. How often do you see a Republican with passion, a sense of purpose, a mission? Why don't we have more people like that? And not just a one-trick pony, but multiple issues. And he really hits on most of the force multiplying issues of our time. And you know what? Chip is outspent in his district, and it's increasingly becoming a competitive district. I mean, you, you have Republicans sitting in R plus 30 districts that won't fight for anything. So that said, I just wanted to say, and want to cut him off there. Um, you know, he gave us a lot of time, and he had to run. He's, he's still in session. Um, I have a friend of mine who who's a PA. So, you know, you would think he would know about this working in the medical profession, but you know, our addiction to this cartel insurance, he went to get a, you know, prescription of amoxicillin filled. I guess he himself wrote it for his kid. And he went to the pharmacy and gave the insurance card. And he expected like, oh, the bill would be like a million dollars or something. He didn't know that amoxicillin, especially if it's generic, it was three bucks. I mean, why are we paying with third party, fourth party payer with that? Yes, there's some aspects of healthcare that are very expensive and innovative, but most of the day-to-day things aren't. So let's at least deal with that in a typical free market way, and you'll have so many more resources to deal with the vexing parts of healthcare. Um, that's the problem. That's what Chip means by the addiction to this broken paradigm of venture socialist government regulated plus subsidized and manipulated and distorted concept of insurance there's a lot we didn't get to so much more with chip so much more i want to do alone but we are out of time for the week lots more content to come um subscribe to our youtube page again email dharwitz at blazemedia.com tweet me at arm conservative have a blessed weekend same place same time next monday Till next time god bless